You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 136, Funspot Arcade. Hello, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is June 16th, 2013, and today is Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there who are listening to You Don't Know Flat. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flat, we'll be talking about Fun Spot, the classic arcade located in Laconia, New Hampshire. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and I'm sure you all have a lot of questions. So let's go ahead and get the podcast loading off of my trusty Commodore 64. While that's loading, we'll have a few minutes to chat during loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. So, the first question you all may have is, where have I been? And that is a darn good question. I guess I missed a couple of weeks on the podcast, and um, uh, so where have I been? Well, the, the first thing is, and gosh, it's been several weeks now, so I have to think back, but... Um, what originally threw the show off of schedule were the tornadoes that hit Oklahoma, and you may have heard about the tornadoes on the national news. Now, everybody I know is fine. I'm fine. My house is fine. But um, pretty much uh, tornadoes just danced all around where I live and work. There was the uh, the original tornado. Not, I mean, not the first one ever, but the, the first one that hit Oklahoma uh, a few weeks ago. Um hit uh, within a couple of miles of my house. So even though it, you know, it didn't hit our house, it was still, um, you know, we had everybody, we have a storm shelter and we had all the kids down in the storm shelter and it was kind of a, a scary little ordeal. Uh, and then the next day was the Moore tornado that hit Moore, Oklahoma. And that's the one that has made most of, uh, well, originally most of the uh, news stations, most of the, the national news coverage has been about the Moore tornado and that tornado uh came down about five miles from where i work and that one had much greater impact not for me personally um but a lot of my co-workers i know lots of people that lost their houses um uh, there was a, a lady that worked in my building that was one of the fatalities so uh, i mean i work in a a, a campus of you know roughly five thousand people so a lot of people that I work with, and Moore is very close to where I work, and so a lot of people live in Moore and and uh, commute to work. So, you know, you, you definitely, everybody out uh, where I work either knows somebody or knows somebody who knows somebody who was affected by that tornado. So um, there's been a lot of mess. I mean, on my drive to work every day, you see all these telephone poles that were just snapped in half. You know, all the telephone poles, all the power poles in that area are all brand new uh there's there's lots of uh there's lots of damage over by the airport uh, a friend of mine uh, went on a uh, honeymoon and came back and found that the uh park and ride where she had left her car during the trip had been just demolished there's cars piled everywhere so that's a fun thing to come back from vacation to but uh, anyway like i said our house is fine and um you know all my friends and family are are fine so but it, it it's kind of been a mess and then uh immediately the week after that my family and i went on vacation and the day we left on vacation there was another f5 tornado now both of these tornadoes the more tornado and the one that hit the yukon el reno area were both classified as ef5s and and um not to turn this into a tornado podcast but uh, f5 tornado and that was the original um uh rating system or classifications for tornado where F0 through F5. Um, but the original ratings or rankings or whatever classifications of tornadoes topped out at around 200 miles an hour. And you may or may not recall on the May 3rd tornado, May 3rd, 1999, which was a huge devastating tornado uh, that came through Oklahoma. 
and it had wind speeds of over 300 miles an hour. Now, the top tornado, I mean, the top rating they had was a F5, uh, which was 200. And so, uh, partly, actually, mainly due to that tornado, they've changed the rating system, and now they have the EF scale. So it's EF0 through EF5, and it's a slightly different scale. But uh, because the May 3rd tornado, like I said, was so gigantic, they didn't even have a rating for it. But anyway... Uh, the more tornado and the one that just hit uh, Yukon and El Reno uh, a week or so ago uh, have been rated as EF5. So, I mean, that's that's the new rating, and they were, again, just off the chart. They, they have wind speeds of near 300 miles an hour, again, recorded on these. The one that hit the uh, Yukon, El Reno area, I live in Yukon, uh, that tornado that touched down, I believe they said at its widest point was about two and a half miles wide. That makes it the widest tornado ever recorded. The one that hit more, there are approximately 13,000 houses now that are either destroyed or uninhabitable. So uh, it's really been kind of a crazy time. But anyway, uh, so the day that the Yukon one hit, my family and I left on vacation. Uh, so it was kind of interesting getting all these texts and, and messages and phone calls, people checking on how we were. And I was like, I thought maybe something had happened in Chicago because we had we were in Chicago for the night. Um, and uh, it turns out that, you know, we, we actually ended up trying to call people back home uh, based on, you know, on the news where they said the tornado hit. We were like, well, we may or may not have a house when <laughs> we get home. So we had all the... At least we had a week's worth of clothes packed with us in the car and, um, you know, most of our electronics. So uh, it certainly would have been a bummer to come back to a uh, foundation of a house or a pile of rubble. But uh, fortunately, all of our stuff was good. Anyway, let's talk about that vacation. And my goodness, my family and I just took a major vacation. Uh, I have mentioned before on the podcast that I don't really care to fly. I like driving. I like road trips. I like the classic... Um, you know, like the movie Vacation, I love that style of vacation, uh, getting in a car and going across country, you know, to go do something or see something and stopping and all the little things. And that is essentially what we did. We started in Oklahoma. We drove to, uh, Chicago on the first day, Chicago is like 800 miles and people are like, wow, you drove, you know, that, that's a good trip. Man, that doesn't even start, because from Chicago, we went to Cleveland, where we saw um, the house from Christmas Story, and uh, which was fun. I don't have time to talk about all these things, uh, but we saw that. We went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We left there, and we drove to Niagara Falls. Everybody asked, oh, do you stay on the American side or the Canadian side? And we stayed on the Canadian side. We stayed, uh, I think it's the Hilton on the 49th floor absolutely stunning view of Niagara Falls. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, it's no secret that I'm not a huge fan of nature. I'm not a huge fan of going out and, you know, I don't hike. I don't go out and do things like that, but man, the, uh, Niagara Falls, just absolutely beautiful. Absolutely amazing. Definitely. Uh, well, I would say if you're in the area, but we're not in the area in Oklahoma of Niagara Falls, but it was definitely worth the trip. Uh, from Niagara Falls, after spending some time there, we left and we drove east. We went to uh, Laconia, New Hampshire, which is where Fun Spot Arcade is, and that's what this episode of You Don't Know Flack will be about. After stopping at Fun Spot, we drove north and we made it all the way to Maine. Uh, one of the main, <laughs> one of the primary, let's say that, reasons that we went to Maine is because I have a list of all the United States that I have been in, and Maine is on the short list of states I have not been in. There are, I guess, three little areas of the country that I haven't hit yet. One is the far northeast. One is uh, up near Wisconsin. I haven't been to Wisconsin. Uh, there's a couple of states up there I haven't hit, and I've actually never been to California other than for a, a five-minute little stop and, and stuff to count that. So those are those little three areas, so we're trying to plan vacations around those areas. Um, but I did. We did make it all the way to Maine. I had a uh, lobster roll. Everybody asked if I had some lobster. I had a lobster roll at a place that was right off of uh, Porter Cove, Maine, where they bring lobsters in off the traps. They drop them off at a restaurant that is right there off the pier, and they turn around and cook them and serve up lobster rolls. It was absolutely fantastic. We really enjoyed 
all of our time there. Uh, from Porter Cove, Maine, we headed south. We came back across uh, all the little states that are up there. It's so cute what they call states. You know, I always joke. You know, I'm, I'm right in the middle of Oklahoma, so I can drive two hours, basically two hours in any direction and still be in Oklahoma. Um, but, you know, if you're in southern Maine and you drive two hours, you're going to cross ten states. Uh, but uh, we came all the way back across um, where we had been, through Delaware, through um, New York. We stopped in Buffalo, New York, and had Buffalo Wild Wings. Not Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, I've got Buffalo Wild Wings on the mind. We had Buffalo Wings uh, from Duff's Famous Wings. That was awesome. Kept going across. We went across, went through um, Erie, Pennsylvania, stopped there. Came back all the way across, uh, down through Indiana, Indianapolis, um, through Illinois, St. Louis, and eventually home. If this sounds like a really long time in the car, you are right. Uh, in seven, I guess technically eight days, we covered 3,700 miles in my wife's uh, Honda Cross Tour. So we had a great time. We took a million pictures, which I have posted uh, on RobOHara.com. There's a link to the photo gallery if you want to go look at our vacation and some of the things like that. I will be writing, hopefully this week, some uh, uh, stories about some of the things that we went and saw. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, between the tornadoes, I kind of had some downtime. Then we had this giant vacation, and so the podcast has just kind of been on the back burner. I actually did record an episode about MTV, which is what 136 was supposed to be about, and it was mostly finished, and I left the machine on, and then I guess while I was gone, Microsoft, uh, my machine is set to download Microsoft patches, and, and it did that and rebooted, and uh, so I think I may have lost part of 136. I know I lost all the feedback that everybody had sent me about the backmasking episode, which really sucks, because I got more... Basically, that and the Ninja episode have generated more feedback than any other episode. So I'm going to go back and try and see if I can scavenge all the feedback. So thanks to everybody. I did read all your feedback, listen to all the voicemail and all that stuff. Um, unfortunately, it's not going to make this episode, but I may go back and try and salvage it uh, for the next episode. Also, over the past week or so, I have been on two different other podcasts. Um One is the Adventure Club podcast. I've mentioned the Adventure Club podcast before. They had Guy Hutchison contact me, said they were having a more or less an impromptu episode, and would I be on there? Would I like to come on and talk about Back to the Future? And I'm not uh, an authority on Back to the Future by any means, but uh, sure, I'll come on and talk about Back to the Future. So they had uh, uh, myself and Guy and and, um, Paxton Holly, you may know from Nerd Lunch, um, and uh, Tim Liebarger. Um, who runs uh, several different websites. He has pretty much, he has a website that has everything he ever wanted to know about Mr. Rogers. Um, But uh, so I was on that episode. I will post a link to that on the website if you missed it. And then, uh, and something that has turned into even something bigger is I got to do a guest spot on Throwback Reviews, which is, uh, Throwback Reviews is a podcast run by uh, a few guys, Sean and Steve and Dor, uh, they also um, they do several Android related podcasts on uh, Pod Nuts. If you want to check that out, but um, <clears throat> Throwback Reviews is um, basically right now it's reviews about '80s movies, but they are expanding into other features and stuff. And so they had me on. Uh, we did a, a review of Under the Rainbow, which was a early '80s movie starring Chevy Chase and Carrie Fisher. Um, and a whole bunch of little people. It's a it's kind of a funny movie, kind of crazy. So we did that, and then based on how that podcast turned out, the guys have asked me back to be uh, a permanent member of the Throwback Reviews clan. So I gladly accepted, and uh, the the show is moving to a uh, bi-weekly format, so they're going to start uh, doing episodes every other week, but uh, I will be joining them for that. And, and they're going to be expanding the scope of the show a little bit. It's not just going to be about 80s movies. They're going to do, I think uh, we have an episode about uh, 80s toys. Like uh, We're going to bring some toys and talk about that and and uh, maybe some other things like that. So I'm really excited about being a part of the uh, throwback reviews. Now that doesn't change You Don't Know Flack at all. I'll still be doing You Don't Know Flack. I, 
I do have to admit that between the Adventure Club podcast and um, the uh, throwback reviews, it is nice to get on someone else's podcast and just chit-chat with people for a few minutes and then let someone else do all the, the back-end production, let them edit the, the episodes and do all the work for posting them and stuff. So that part's been uh, really nice. But uh, You Don't Know Flack will go on. Also, I do like the interaction you know, that I've had on those other episodes. I like getting on and talking about a subject and stuff. I, I really enjoy that. So um, it's kind of t- like dipping your toe in some other water you know, and then coming back to your own bathtub. Um, so, But you, you Don't Know Flack will go on. Whether anyone listens to it or not is a, <laughs> remains to be seen. But um, uh, So anyway, that's kind of what's going on in the podcast. Also, I have one other very important announcement, and that is that the You Don't Know Flack voice mailbox number has changed. So I will put that in the show notes. I will put that on the website. I will put that everywhere I can think to put that. I was using a free service called K7.net, and K7.net, uh, you can go there and don't go there, but you could go there and set up a free voicemail box and they give you a phone number and all this. Um, if the voicemail box is not used for three weeks is what their website says. They have the option of deleting it. And so when they delete it, you lose any voicemail messages that were in it and you lose your phone number. Um, I hadn't used it because we had the uh, tornadoes. Basically I couldn't use my phone for at least a week here in Oklahoma. I mean, I just got a, uh, weird, you know, busy signal and things every time we picked up the phone. And then with the podcast on hiatus, uh, you know, for a week, basically I didn't check the voicemail. And then the third week when I went back to record, I went to dial in and uh, actually I had a listener inform me that the mailbox number was not responding. And when I dialed, sure enough, K7 had just deleted the phone number in the voicemail box because it hadn't been used for uh, right at three weeks. I think it was just under three weeks. So anyway, uh, the good news is I went and I have a new... Registered a new phone number, and it is with Google Voice. It goes straight to voicemail, and are you ready for the phone number? Because this is very easy to remember. I could never remember the old one. Uh, But the new phone number is area code 405, and if you listen to this podcast, you should be able to remember that podcast. Um, If you listen to the TBH 405, uh, the OK Crackers for the 405 area code. I'm all about 405, and Oklahoma City is 405, so it's area code 405. 486, as in 486 computers, you don't know Flack. Y-D-N, no, that's not how you spell no, it's K, I'm ridiculous, Y-D-K-F. So, again, the number is 405-486-Y-D-K-F. So, that is the new voicemail box number. You can call that voicemail box anytime, day or night, doesn't matter because it doesn't ring anywhere. It goes right to voicemail. Leave whatever you want. I did... Someone did tell me that voicemail, Google Mail, um, cuts off at three minutes or five minutes. So if you've got more than that to say, call back. Leave multiple messages. Um, But get the new number out there, and I will post the new number with the show. Uh, So the old number is no longer good. If you want to leave voicemail for the show, it's the new number, 405-486. You don't know flat. Um... That's basically it for the introduction. I know uh, the podcast is already loaded. I can see the drive over there uh, just flashing away. It loaded a long time ago. If you have feedback about this episode or any episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can always email your feedback to me at robohara at robohara.com or leave a message on the voicemail box like I gave it. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and jump right into episode 136, Fun Spot. So I first heard about Funspot Arcade through King of Kong. The the well, gosh, I almost started off on a bad foot and said documentary. King of Kong was originally released as a quote unquote documentary. There's been a lot of controversy over the years of just how much of King of Kong is an actual documentary. I know that when um, documentary filmmakers uh, shoot films like that they often record you know hundreds of hours of footage and then based on that they're able to put together you know a story with an angle and that's what happened with king of kong and there's a a lot of uh disagreement over how much of king of kong reflects reality you know it was kind of uh, edited put together to be this rivalry uh between um steve Weeby, the uh, up-and-coming donkey kong champion 
and uh, you know all these different people and stuff, and, and um, you know they kind of made Twin Galaxies look like a bad guy, and Twin Galaxies has gone on the record to say you know that they don't support the film or that they don't agree with you know what the film portrays. So anyway, not to get into a King of Kong discussion, but uh, several or a big large portion of both King of Kong and uh, the documentary Chasing Ghosts, if you haven't seen that, that's another good one, uh, were filmed at Fun Spot. And so in uh, several years ago, I believe this is in uh, maybe 2007, 2008, I was up for work in the Boston area. And while I was up there, I got to connect with Jason Scott. You may know Jason Scott's name from his work with uh, Internet Archive, you may know him from textfiles.com, or you may know him from his documentaries. He's done two documentaries, um, the uh, BBS documentary and Get Lamp, the text files, uh, not text files, sorry, text adventure documentary. And so um, uh, Jason had given a good review of my book about, you know, Commodore, about, which is about BBSs, and I had given... Uh, his documentary about BBS is a good review. So we had kind of crossed paths that way. So while I was in Boston, we ended up connecting and I mentioned something about fun spot. And the following day, Jason picked me up in his car and we drove the 100 miles North from Boston to fun spot. And we spent a few hours there. And so that's the first time I saw fun spot. Um, and the whole time I was there, you know, I mean, I, I've, had been collecting arcade games. That really, that visit got me to turn that collection up a little bit. Um, but the whole time I was there, I was like, "Man, I, I wish I could share this experience." You know, maybe with my kids or with my wife or friends or something. You know, I mean, uh, you know, it's always one thing to see something really cool, but then you want to share it with other people. And so, in the back of my mind, I was always like, "God, when can I get back to Fun Spot?" And so when we were planning this vacation, when we we're going cross country and driving all this and we're driving up to Maine, you know, I, I looked and I'm like, we're right up there by Fun Spot. And that has to be a destination that we stop at. And it wasn't, you know, based on going to Maine, it wasn't that far out of the way. I mean, it really wasn't out of the way at all. Instead of driving, uh, you know, we had already, we had left um, Niagara Falls and we had been to Buffalo and so we we're already in that area. And so instead of driving straight northeast to hit um, Maine, you know, we just kind of drove east over to North Ham or to New Hampshire to where Fun Spot is. And then from there, we drove an hour north to Maine. So it really wasn't out of the way at all. So, you know, when we began talking about this vacation, that was always in the cards is that we would stop and, and go to Fun Spot, you know, and, and especially because my son, uh, uh, you know, he's a gamer. Uh, my daughter enjoys games, you know. I mean, she enjoys games like a seven-year-old enjoys games. So she doesn't have any particular particular um, affection towards gaming other than she just enjoys games. I mean, kids today, you know, she plays lots of stuff on her iPad and stuff. So it's not like, you know, she's not uh, exposed, you know, to video games. My son is is the much bigger gamer. And then my wife, you know... Um, grew up in the 80s like I did. So even if you weren't a gamer, you definitely have memories of playing, you know, if nothing else, the classics uh, from the 80s, you know. So um, so I, I figured she would like it too. So so anyway, um, we drove and drove and drove, and we ended up in uh, Laconia, New Hampshire, and it is definitely a touristy-type town. Um, it is at um, Ware's Beach, and so there are lots of, you know, little beach areas. There's lots of boat rentals. There's lots of, lots of things for touristy type deals. And you go all the way through town and, and you're almost, you know, past town. And then you take this little road up and I guess, um, Ware's beach in Laconia is the site of a very large bike week and people drive from all over the country. It's kind of like Sturgis, but of the Northeast and people drive all over for the, you know, with their motorcycles to go up to that area. And so we were there the week before bike week. So there were just miles of these giant white tents where they were going to be, you know, look like a fair, uh, with signs of corn dogs and, and, you know, chocolate covered bacon and all these crazy things that they were going to be selling and t-shirt places and all this, but they were all closed. 
Um, so they had set these tents up, but it was just the town getting ready for bike week. So we were there the week before bike week. So anyway, we drive past all these tents and stuff, and eventually we get to Fun Spot. And um, I, w- I wouldn't say you could miss it, but it's definitely, from the outside, it is not impressive. It is a brown, um, like, metal-type building. Like, it's covered with, you know, metal, not not siding, but, you know, almost looks like a portable-type building. Um, I, I've, I've been there twice now, and I've been confused both times because... From the outside, it doesn't look that big. And when you get inside, it is it just seems monstrous. Um, so the outside of it is very deceiving. I asked my wife before I started recording yesterday. I asked her uh, what her impressions of Fun Spot were. And she said her first impression when we pulled up... First of all, she said she was... Well, she was disappointed that we had driven that far for this because it did not look impressive. Now, her opinion changed when we got inside. But... Um, her initial impression, and this is a great observation, was that the name Fun Spot did not match the look of the place. I mean, the the building is brown. There's a small sign that says Fun Spot, and that's it. You know, so it's definitely. She said that it didn't look like a fun spot. So, we went ahead and parked. We shot a couple of pictures outside, you know, in front of the sign, and then you go inside. Now. It's kind of confusing to talk about. I've you know because I wrote down these notes about the first floor and the second floor or whatever, but it's confusing because depending on where you go in is what floor you go in on because they're on different sides of the building. It's kind of like built on a slope. So if you go in on one side, you know, you might it's it's difficult because like uh, the way we came in, we actually came in on the top floor. So you would be discussing, you know, well, there was a basement, a sub basement or whatever. But if you came in on the other side, it would be the first, second, third floor, whatever. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to call the floors, the first floor, the second floor, and the third floor. Like I said, depending on where you come in, you might think, oh, well, there's a ground level and then there's a basement. But just to keep it simple, first floor, second floor, third floor. Now, everybody listening to this podcast will only be interested in the third floor. So I'm going to talk about that last, <laughs> because that's what kind of meanie I am. Um, the first floor of Fun Spot is all about ticket redemption games. Um, my wife is a huge fan of skee-ball, and so that's exactly where I took her first, because I thought if she doesn't see this, she's going to be not happy. She's going to want to leave in 10 minutes, and you know that's going to ruin everybody's day. So the first thing I did was take everybody all the way down to the first floor, and that's where they saw the 20-something rows of skee-ball. There are almost some, uh, like, carnival-type games down there. There are lots of ticket redemption games, Um, you know. So that's, and little kids, I think that's their area. You know, I think they enjoy that. I know my wife enjoyed playing the skee-ball and doing all those things. Right off the bat... You know, when I go to a classic arcade, especially one that uses tokens, I'm always a little cautious about getting too many tokens. And the reason for that is, you know, especially if you're away from home, you don't want to get stuck with tokens. I mean, you don't want to get five bucks worth of tokens and then only play three dollars worth of games or whatever. You know, I'd rather get five dollars worth of tokens a couple times. But I wanted the kids and my wife to have a good time at Fun Spot. I wanted everybody to play games and not worry about it. So immediately, the first thing I did was get $20 worth of tokens for my daughter, $20 worth of tokens for my son, and $20 worth of tokens for me. Then um, when we walked in, the guy behind the counter told us if we showed them the coupon online, and all you had to do was pull it up on your phone, that you would get 25 free tokens. So uh, we did that. My wife got those tokens, and I think she may have borrowed some from uh, some of the kids. But anyway, so the first thing, you know, like I said, down on the first floor, it's skee-ball. It's all the stuff my kids love to do. It's electronic cranes. It's, you know, press this button, watch the light go around, and you might win 10 tickets. You know, I I, I know it's a necessary evil of modern arcades. Um, I've mentioned this before that I talked to some of the guys that were uh, running a local arcade, and they told me that... Um, it was somewhere between, depending on the month, between 75 and 90% of their income came from redemption games. So you, it's a necessary evil. If that's, you know, if that's, you're running that style of arcade, you've got to get money going through those to pay for the other stuff. 
that's what the first floor is all about. The second floor, all of us had a hard time remembering what was on the second floor. And I know that um, the third floor, which is where the classic machines are, has a cutoff date of about 1987, is what their website says. So they're on the the second floor. There were some games that I think um, may have been newer than that. There was a Batman game. Uh, there was Simpsons. I know on the second floor there's a couple of Mortal Kombat games and um, NBA Jam. So maybe maybe that's where they put games that are outside that classic uh, era. But um, so anyway, uh, and there's a mini golf course. There was some other stuff on the second floor. So there, there's stuff there. But for everybody listening to this podcast, anybody that would go to Fun Spot, you're going to be interested in the third floor. The third floor is actually, technically, um, a classic arcade museum. So people have asked me, oh, did you go to the classic arcade museum or whatever? I'm like, no, went to Fun Spot. But it's actually, the third floor is designated as a hands-on, non-profit, classic arcade museum. So I guess I did go to the museum. Um, Up on the third floor, there are a couple of different areas. On the right-hand side, there is a long room that has uh, basically two rows of machines, and the rows are really long. I mean, they probably have, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 machines each, and you'll see some good ones in there, you know? Uh, We saw um, Kicker or Kickman we saw um, Moon Patrol out there. We saw lots of different things out there. So I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And then in the entryway, there were probably 15 machines, maybe 15, 20 machines. Uh, and then there's like a little, I guess I'd call it a hallway, with about 10 or 15 machines on each side. And then you get to the main room. And I think the main room has about 300 machines. I read online that Funspot has about 350 machines on the third floor in the classic area. Uh, So that number would be about right, I would say. And then they have another 300 machines that are not there. Either they're being serviced or they're off-site somewhere else. So I would definitely be interested in knowing uh, if they have a system, if things get rotated in and out, or if they just rotate stuff out when it's broken or whatever. But um, I'd like to know more about that. So anyway, let's talk about the classic games. First of all, one thing, uh, like I said, I did get some feedback from my wife. I asked her, you know, what she thought about Fun Spot and all this. And the one thing that she liked, and it's very true, uh, is that the way that the games are laid out, they have like things put together. For the most part, there were some odd... uh, exceptions to that a couple of odd exceptions but for the most part things are like things are put together for example there is a pac-man area so in that area you have pac-man you have miss pac-man you have junior pac-man um you know all the pac-man games are lined up right there in the right hand corner of the the main room was laser disc area and so, I, you know, I saw Dragon's Lair. That caught my attention, of course. And then next to it is Dragon's Lair 2. And then there's Space Ace. And, and you know what? Um, those are not... I mean, Laserdisc games are becoming more and more uncommon, but as far as Laserdisc games go, those are obviously the most common. Those are the ones that people think of. Right next to that was Firefox, which is a game I haven't seen definitely since the 80s. Um, it was based on the, um, who is it, Clint Eastwood? Clint Eastwood movie uh, of flying a jet or whatever. And when I, when Firefox came out, I was like, oh, that w-. there was another game that was called Mach 3. That, and both of these games featured background footage that was, like, real that ran off the Laserdisc. And then it superimposed graphics of ships, uh, you know, airplane jets and missiles and explosions on top of that footage. So when I saw Firefox, I was like, holy cow. And I, I immediately put a token in there, started playing Firefox, and I and it wasn't quite how I remembered it. And then I thought, oh, you know what? I'm remembering that other uh, Laserdisc game, Mach 3. I looked right next to Firefox. There was Mach 3. Um, there was um, uh, Astron Belt. The all, you know, all the Laserdisc games that I remembered 
from, you know, as a kid or whatever, and some that I haven't seen since I was a kid, were all lined up right there in a row. There is a Taito area where every Taito cabinet, I mean, your um, Jungle Hunt, your Kicks, your um, Elevator Action, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that are Zookeeper, you know, they're all lined up. And, and, uh, you know, there's something about me where I enjoy visually, I enjoy patterns, you know, I enjoy um, a row of Star Wars figures all lined up. I enjoy, um, you know, uniform things stacked up. Uh, and, and so to see all the Taito cabinets there, which have a unique shape, and they're all a different color, you know, you have the green one, the, the beige one, the gray one, uh, just really cool. I really enjoyed looking at that. So, um, so my daughter and my wife were downstairs plugging away their little tokens, whatever. My son was partially doing, uh, you know, some redemption stuff and just running around, you know, he's doing what a, what a 11 year old does when you give him $20 worth of tokens at an arcade, you know, play this, play that, play that, whatever. Uh, but I, first of all, I don't know why, I guess it's the, uh, reporter, the journalist in me, I decided I wanted to take a picture of every machine. By the way, I also should mention that in a fun spot when we were there, I'm trying to piece together my time frame here. I don't remember. I don't really remember which day of the week it was, but it was definitely a work day, you know, like a school day type thing. And we got there around two o'clock. There was literally, I won't say literally, but there was nobody in Fun Spot. In the classic room, most of the time, I was the only person in there. Uh, There were two guys that were wearing some sort of Fun Spot, like a high score t-shirts or whatever. So I don't know if they worked there, if they were guys that are just regulars, what the deal was. Uh, For a while, they were in there... um, you know, playing some, and they were playing one game. So it seemed to me like that maybe they were working on a high score for a game or something. Um, but other than that, it was just me. And then later, you know, my family came up. What else was in there? There's an entire row of Nintendo cabinets. So there's Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Donkey Kong three. Um, there was a Dr. Mario. There was, uh, Super Mario Brothers, there was a Play Choice cabinet. The only Nintendo cabinet, um, and really one of the very few machines that I was looking for that wasn't there was Excite Bike. They didn't have Excite Bike. Um, but I, I'm sure they probably had it on the Play Choice 10, but I, I prefer the um, dedicated Nintendo version. But it almost became a challenge to find, you know, to think of a game and see if they had it or didn't have it. And um, it was hard to do. It was hard to come up with games in your mind that they might have um, that you couldn't find there. Now, that's not to say they own every game. They just own most of the games that people think of when you think of arcade games. You know, you might say, um, oh, well, what about Mortal Kombat? You know, and then you go, yep, there's Mortal Kombat over there. And But... So there may be a game that you played in your youth or something, and you might go look and they didn't have it, but man, they have an amazing selection. Uh, I had, I owned uh, Road Blasters. It was one of the machines I liked. I really enjoyed uh, Road Blasters. I enjoy uh, that Atari era of games, of um, their 16-bit games. And there are about six different boards, I think, that are all compatible during that era. And they had all of them lined up in a row. They had uh, Roadrunner, which I haven't seen in a long time. They had Marble Madness, um, Indiana Jones. I played Indiana Jones. That's another one I haven't played in a long time. Uh, But they had all these lined up. And this is one thing that I I mentioned that most of these things were, were grouped together. But every now and then there would be like an oddball. Like, for example, for the Atari games, most of the Atari games were all set up in a row. Uh... Road Blasters was in a different area because they actually had the sit-down Road Blasters. But all the Atari games were lined up except for Roadrunner, which was in a different area. So it made me wonder, maybe, I wonder if the Roadrunner has broken 
and they had you know swapped some things in and out to get it there. I, I'm just not sure. I thought the same thing about um, they had uh, not an environmental, but they did have a discs of Tron machine and then a regular Tron machine, and the two machines were not close to each other. So, like I said, it just made me wonder in the back of my head, maybe, uh, you know, maybe one had broken down and they had swapped it out and then swapped something back in. I'm, I'm not sure. They did have a Galaga area with Galaga 1, uh, Galaxian, um, what is it, Galapus, Galapus, I never know, uh, but Galaga 3. They had all those in there. Actually, there was a Satan's Hollow machine right next to that. I played some Satan's Hollow. I played most of these games, all these games I'm talking about. Um, I even played 720, which is one of the arcade machines that I still have out in my garage. But, um, you know, there's something different about, uh, especially a game that you're good at. You know, you go to an arcade and you drop your quarter in, you're like, oh, I hope somebody sees how awesome I am <laughs> at this game. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was the only one in the room, so nobody cared. Um, but I did play 720, they had, um, that's an, another one, they had 720 and then they had Paperboy, which are two games that I kind of associate being similar and being, um, uh, you know, both Atari licenses, um, but, uh, those two machines were not located near each other. They did have, uh, Off-Road, uh, was it Ivan Stewart, or Iron Man, whatever, uh, Off-Road and Championship Sprint, so I did play both of those. They also had several black and white, really old school games. They had Pong. Actually, they had a couple. They had Pong, and then they had a Pong knockoff. Um, they had the old, you know, basketball or football games. I don't remember which one. Maybe it was both. Uh, they used a trackball, and you were literally X's and O's as you played on the play field. Uh, they had Tank, uh, or is it Tank 2, the black and white game where you have two, you know, basically the predecessor to combat. Um, there was another area where they had the Exidy um, light gun games lined up. They had Crossbow. They had, uh, and Crossbow I've talked about before. That uh, The first time I played Crossbow was at the local um, roller skating rink. I think I mentioned that before where I, I wasn't tall enough to play it, but if I wore roller skates, I could play it. But as I leaned forward to shoot... You know, I would scoop backwards on a roller skate, so it was this whole um, <laughs> multiple things going on to play uh, crossbow. But they did have crossbow, and I did not need to wear roller skates to be able to see this time. So I played some crossbow, and then they had Cheyenne, which was the uh, Western-themed version. And then they had Chiller, which, if you're not familiar with Chiller, Chiller is kind of an infamous game, because if you watch it or play it, it is absolutely horrific. Uh, I mean, obviously the graphics are cartoony because of the era, but it's like if you've if you've not played Crossbow, I guess I should explain. Uh, in Crossbow, what the, the the goal of the game is, you have these basically non-player characters that are constantly walking from left to right, and so you shoot to control their path. So you pick different rooms, uh, different areas, and they walk from left to right. And so as these people, they're just autonomous, you know, they're just walking. They don't defend themselves. They don't do anything. They're just completely, you know, robotic. They walk from left to right. And as they're walking, things are attacking them. There's a, a level where you're walking through a city street. And as you're walking through, lightning bolts will come down. Meteors will try to hit your people. Ghosts will try to attack your people. Um, so all these things are going on. And so your job with the light gun is to defend your people by shooting all these other dangers that are coming their way. In Chiller, it's kind of like that, but it becomes interactive where you can shoot different things and make things happen. Like there may be, um, uh, like there's, well, I, I should say, the game takes place more or less, uh, in the levels I've played, in torture-type dungeons. So, you know, there's a guy on a rack, and then there's a corkscrew, and if you shoot the corkscrew, the rack will turn, and eventually it will rip the guy in half. Um, on each level, there will be three or four people caught, um, in various torture devices. So basically you torture people to death. You can also shoot off all their skin, you know, to see their, their bloody entrails or whatever. Um, it amazes me, amazes me that this game made it into, I mean, obviously 
the demographic is kids. I mean, that's who was playing arcade games. So it's not like you could say, well, this is a PG-13 game or whatever, you know. Uh, I mean, it was going in arcades next to ones, and I don't remember ever seeing Chiller as a kid. I have played it on MAME, um, substituting the mouse for the light gun. And, you know, seeing it in an arcade and then seeing your kid play a game, it's kind of disturbing. It, you know, I, I'll add that as a link to the show notes as well, some YouTube footage of Chiller. But um, definitely uh, an odd game, you know. So I, d- I did appreciate seeing it there uh, firsthand and playing it, you know. But, um, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely a weird one. There were, I would say, very, very few games that I had in my head that I wanted to play. I wanted to play Map Mania, and that machine was messed up. Um, So there were two or three games that I was looking for that I didn't find there, but almost everything else was there. Um, Another thing that my wife pointed out is that almost everything was operational. I would say there were probably ten games that had out-of-order signs on them, which you know, out of 300-something classic machines. that It's just phenomenal. I don't know what their actual staffing is like when it comes to fixing machines and and uh, who works on stuff or whatever, but my goodness, um, somebody's doing a bang-up job there because everything was, you know, pretty much all the machines that we played worked, buttons worked, joysticks worked. Somebody is really um, upkeeping the maintenance at that place, so that that was very much appreciated. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, anything exciting. One thing, it's funny that, uh, people have different perspectives because when I asked my wife, uh, a couple of, you know, like what she thought and, and one of the things she mentioned is that, and I, I think this is because they were on that floor. I spent most of my time on the third floor, but they were on the first floor playing skee ball and there is also a food area. And she said the whole time they were in the food area, they were cooking pizza and cookies and things, and so the whole arcade smelled great. Okay, first of all, I have had a sinus infection for the past 30 years. Um, there's a reason that I sound this nasally. I can't smell anything. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely not an angle that I'm going to bring on the podcast. I couldn't tell you what the arcade smelled like. <laughs> but Susan said it smelled delicious, so... There, that fun spot, I guess, has that going for it. Um, the other thing is, and I, this was just one of those weird deals, but as I was playing, I I don't know. I've read, actually, that this may be a sign of schizophrenia, so I should probably watch it, but sometimes when I'm at my desk or something, I'll see something move out of the corner of my eye, and then I'll look, and it's obviously something that couldn't move. Like, you know, I thought, recently, I thought I saw this bug, at work, move, crawl or something out of the corner of my eye. And then when I look, it was just a black spot on my desk. And obviously this spot didn't move. So I don't know. I don't know what that is. Um, but so as I was playing, I was actually playing championship sprint. I was really doing good as the red car or whoever I was. (laughs) And, um, you know, whipping the thing back. And all of a sudden on the corner of my eye, I see something move and I'm like, Oh, and I got distracted. And then I look and it was a baby chipmunk. So, I mean, you are kind of, you know, outside of town in this big wooded area or whatever. And so, all this, you know, then I'm like, the first thing I thought is, how cute is that? And then I know that cute things like that bite. So, now I'm like stomping on the gas pedal. Boom, boom, boom. Spinning the steering wheel. Woo! Going around the corners. And there's this chipmunk. And I'm like, oh, God, if that thing comes over here. Now, there goes this race, because I'm not, I mean, I will run, I will climb on top of a pinball machine and stand up there if this thing attacks me. Which, I mean, if you saw it, it, it looked like any stuffed animal you would ever win out of a crane machine. It was the little, tiniest, cutest little thing. Um, but anyway, later when I asked my wife, you know, she said, oh, there was a baby chipmunk. So, apparently, not only was there a baby chipmunk running around in Fun Spot, but... It made it to every floor because they spent their whole time on the first floor. I was on the third floor. So, I mean, there are steps. Maybe, I don't know, if they runs up and down the steps, if he goes somewhere. I really don't know how that works. Um, I don't know if that's a normal occurrence at Fun Spot or if we just happen to be there at a unique time. So, who knows. Um, Gosh, what else? Um, There are only... 
how should I say this? I guess I would say there are only a couple of ways to leave an arcade. One is, you know, you buy, you know, a few dollars worth of tokens, you play the games you want, and then you leave. You know, I mean, I guess you could leave with tokens in your pocket. That's never really... I don't think that um, any of us would ever do that, right? Um, I mean, I'm not going to get $5 worth of tokens and be like, eh, you know what, I'm done with arcade games. These are boring. Um, You know, the other way to leave an arcade, and this is what we did, is you have overbought tokens. And $20 is a lot of tokens, especially when you're up and, you know, playing classic games. Uh, and especially on games, I'm, I'm not good at any game. That's uh, my curse in life is that I love arcade games and that I'm somewhat terrible at them. Um, so, you know, I, I would um, go play Galaga. And, I mean, Galaga, if I get past the second bonus, I don't know that I, I'm sure I have seen the third bonus level, but that would be a great game of Galaga for me to see the third bonus level. Usually, you know, I'm, if I get to the second one, that's probably a decent game for me. Um, so as you get to the end of the day, you notice, uh, you know, well, everybody's starting to get tired or whatever. And then I look and I still have, you know, half of my tokens, like $10 worth of tokens. So Eventually, the kids and my wife came up to find me, and then it became my favorite part of the day, because, you know, when you're all, I don't necessarily enjoy, I mean, I do it, but I don't enjoy going to things like that by myself. I mean, yes, you get the experience, you get all that, but when I went to arcades as a kid, and when I did stuff like that, it was with my pals, it was with my buddy, it was with Jeff and Andy and all those guys. And so doing it at Fun Spot by myself wasn't as much fun for me. But when they ran out of their, you know, ticket redemption tokens and and cashed in their tickets and were bored and finally came up to find where I was, that for me was the best time because then I would, you know, I grabbed the kids and I go, this is Marble Madness. This is how you do it. This is a trackball and you control this whole thing. And I put two tokens in, hit start for both of them, and just watch them play. Um, and that part for me, who would have ever thought? I mean, when I was a kid, you know, young teen, early teen, playing Marble Madness, I never would have thought someday I'll be in an arcade with my kids watching them play Marble Madness. It never, never uh, entered my mind, you know? And so to see that, this is going to sound cheesy, the cheesiest part of the whole podcast, but there were parts where I got choked up. I mean, there were times where the three of us were playing championship sprint or whatever, and my kids are laughing and we're racing around, and I was like, this is the greatest thing ever, you know? Um, then we saw Niagara Falls, and it seemed better. <laughs> Stupid joke. Um, but, uh, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, as we're playing, I, I took one picture where Morgan is playing, uh, the black Knight pinball. Mason is playing, uh, Pinbot, and my wife is playing kiss pinball. Um, you know what? That's something I didn't really talk about was the pinball machines, but you know, just a moment like that where the whole family, your whole family is playing pinball games that you played as a kid. It's just really, um, surreal. It was a surreal moment. Pinball machines. Um, I, you know, I didn't count how many there are. I would say, I don't know, between 20 and 30 pinball machines. They're all down one wall. I think my eyes are not as good as they used to be. Um, and I have, you know, arcades back in the day were very dim and I, and that was just kind of the motif of, of eighties arcades. And Fun Spot in the classic area has continued that motif. So they have red lighting and it's very dim. So as, uh, you know, for reproducing the arcade experience, I get that. And they succeed in doing that. It's a dim, giant dim room, you know. And, of course, that makes the, the monitors and the marquees pop even more, those lights. Um, but as, A, someone who was interested in taking pictures... That made it very difficult. Um, I had a hard time taking pictures, you know, because of the the lighting situation. So 
I took uh, I tried to take a picture of every machine in the third floor, and a lot of them, I don't, you know, maybe a fourth of them were blurry, and I would say maybe ten percent were blurry enough that you can't tell what the game is. I mean, the marquee is is that blurry or something, you know. So, I really disappointed in not disappointed in the lighting, but disappointed in the way that um, you know the pictures turned out. The other thing that I did was on pinball. I literally couldn't see what was going on in the pinball tables. And like I said, maybe that's, I just wasn't used to the light. Maybe it's because my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. But on several of the pinball tables, they were just so dim. And then with the low lighting, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see the ball or I couldn't see what I was supposed to be doing. So I honestly, I didn't play that much pinball. Um, you know, I just went to, um, the lost Ark or what was it? The lost arcade in, um, North Carolina. Um, there's a pinball place that's open here in Oklahoma City. Um, so there's several other pinball places around, honestly. And I, I just um, I do enjoy pinball, but um, not as much as I enjoy arcade games. And I just you know couldn't see what was going on, and so I just ended up not playing pinball. But there were so many arcade games that were there to play that um, you know more than made up for it. And and I didn't go to Fun Spot to play pinball. I'm sure some people might, but I went for um, you know, the classic games and, and that's, that's what you get. That's what you get when you go to fun spot, man. Um, you know, I, you can see why it is a Mecca for arcade players. You can see why people would go there. Um, you know, I, it would be tough for me to justify, you know, a whole cross country trip just to go to fun spot just because i mean for any arcade but if you were going to do it for any arcade i mean this seems like the one that you would do it for this is um the biggest they have a sign that says it is the biggest arcade in the world i don't know how if that's based on machines um i don't think it would be square footage but you never know um but uh, there were other buildings there that we did not visit at Fun Spot. There was a bingo hall. There was a outdoor golf thing. Um, there, you know, there were some other things like that. And we didn't do any of that. We were, you know, just there for the arcade stuff. But um, that's pretty much Fun Spot. You know, one other thing that uh, I'm reminded is last time I went, <clears throat> and on the website there is a mascot for Fun Spot, and it is a big dragon, and his name is Top Snuff. Which, once you look at it, you immediately realize that Top Snuff is the word Fun Spot backwards. I did not see Top Snuff there this time. Um, I didn't see him on any of the signage. Maybe he was there. I'll go back and look at the pictures. But it definitely, I do remember last time there was like a thing of Top Snuff outside. And I don't remember seeing that this time. Um, because I had mentioned to the kids... You know, hey, keep an eye out for Top Snuff and see if you can figure out where the name came from. And then later on, both of them told me they hadn't seen him. So um, maybe that's something they've gotten away from. I don't, I don't really know. Um, but I mean, that's that's Fun Spot in a in a nutshell. I've been to classic arcades all over the country. Um, some of them good, some of them not so good. You know, all of them have their their ups and downs. They're the ones that I highly recommend. I always recommend to people the 1984 arcade in Springfield, Missouri. You know, we drive right past it when we go to Chicago. If you're if you're driving through Missouri um, on uh, 44, you're going to go right through Springfield. I always recommend people see the 1984 arcade. Uh, I would all, I would recommend to anybody to go to um, uh, the Retrocade Arcadia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, Shay and um, Larry and the guys out there are super nice people. They're super cool. It's a super cool location. Both of those arcades are $5 to get in and play all the games that you want. Um, the Lost Arcade was a, a nice arcade. It's smaller in scope than some of these other ones. Um, you know, I think they had um, about 20 arcade games, but um, uh, they had a great pinball selection, and, and it's a retro you know, video game store as well. So all these things have their little pluses and minuses. Um, you know, some are nicer than others. Some have more, you know, bigger game collections than others. Uh, but if you're in the area of those places, I always recommend, you know, that people go there. But Fun Spot is, I mean, not only if you're in the area, if you're not in the area. If you are, you know, on the eastern half 
uh, here in the United States. Definitely, if you're in the the top, if you're in the Northeast, anywhere in the Northeast, and going anywhere through there, it's definitely worth a stop. Go, um, you know, one thing I always, I always say about arcades is uh, there's there's a couple of ways to support arcades. One is by advertising for them, and I do that whenever I can. You know, I always people mention arcades. I say, oh, have you tried this one or that one? You know, and and I try to know about arcades that are in people's. Uh, you know, different areas of the country, so you have places you can recommend. But the other way to support them is by is one quarter at a time. I mean, uh, you know, we have Cactus Jacks here in Oklahoma City. I love having a large arcade here, you know, directly near me. But liking an arcade doesn't keep them in business. Going there from time to time does. Going there and getting ten dollars worth of tokens and giving them to your kids and letting them play pinball or whatever. You know, just putting them in machines just keeping money in those places um yeah sometimes the snacks are a little overpriced but you know that that's what i what i think when i buy a a coke at one of these places or i think a popcorn or whatever okay maybe the popcorn's a little high or whatever but what you're doing is really you're investing in that place and so um yeah if you like classic arcade games if you like places like that then that's what you can do to keep them open for business is to go to visit them, to recommend them to other people, get other people to visit them, um, and put some money, put some money into the place. So I guess I, the only other thing I have to mention about fun spot is, um, my daughter who hit a couple of jackpots on her ticket redemption stuff. And as she started collecting these tickets, other people that were playing skee-ball and stuff started giving uh, her their tickets as well. And, of course, my, my wife and, and my son, they, they like playing those games, but they don't really care about the tickets. So pretty soon my, my daughter's, uh, my seven-year-old, Morgan, her... Uh, actually, I, I do have two stories, but, but so Morgan's um, ticket little pile had grown and grown and grown. And eventually, what she did was she went and spent all her tickets, like 2,000 tickets, and she cashed them in for a fun spot uh, baseball cap, which she then came and gave to me. And I just thought that was the sweetest little um, gesture, you know. I mean, the family knew that really we were at fun spot for me. So she won me this baseball hat that says fun spot. And, uh, so I wore it for the rest of the day and I, I have it sitting here next to me. I'm looking at it right now. Um, so I thought that was really, uh, sweet. And my son, my son is a whiz at claw, um, crane games. I, you know, I know there are people that say they're good at it and people, I know that, um, crane games are rigged to a certain extent. I mean, they are set to be loose and then only pay out every so many, you know, plays whether it's 10 or 20 or whatever um but my son seems to win at them more than most people i mean we'll go to a restaurant and on the way out he'll play one or two quarters if he plays two quarters it seems like every time he wins you know and so there was a family at fun spot kind of near us on the, on the first floor that played skee-ball and something else and it was a couple of parents and then I think two or three kids, and one of the kids was um, probably early teens, hard to tell, maybe 12, 13, something like that, and had um, Down syndrome. And that kid was having the best time. I mean, he was playing stuff or whatever. And so while we were getting ready to head up to the classic area, my son, Mason, who's 11, uh, put a quarter in the crane machine. I always roll my eyes, and then he always, you know, I always tell him, you never win at that stuff, and then he always does. He always proves me wrong. And uh, he pulled out this little green furry monkey, uh, first try, and drops it into the thing. And I go, what are you going to do with that? You know, you're going to carry around a green monkey all day? And he kind of shrugged, because he doesn't really want the prize. He just likes the challenge of, of extracting things out of the machine. And so, I mean, without, without, um, uh, me suggesting it. Uh, I mean, his first thing was he turned around, he, he saw that kid that was over there, and he just walked up to him and he said, Hey, I just won this. You can have it, you know. And, um, uh, I mean, he, that kid just got super excited. And I, I could see Mason smiling, you know. And uh, the parents kind of looked at, at me, you know, and just said thanks. And I just kind of waved. And then we were on our way up the stairs, you know. So, 
Um, I, I got a couple of pretty awesome kids, I got to say. Um, neither one of them can beat me at Rampage, which um, is is uh, something that we proved at Fun Spot. We did play some three-man Rampage. But regardless of that fact, they are pretty awesome kids. So I think that's about all I have to say about Fun Spot. It is a cool arcade. It is a great location. I recommend anybody anywhere near that part of the country in the Northeast go. Um, you, you know, take some cash to spend, you will spend it. If you are a classic gamer, um, you know, you like old school arcade games, you know, even up to, um, the nineties, like I said, there are some areas with uh, Mortal Kombat. We played NBA Jam. We played Simpsons, some stuff down in, in a different area. So, uh, there is enough to keep you busy for a, a long day. Go there and grab some pizza and uh, make a day out of it. Highly recommend it. That pretty much wraps up episode of 136 about Fun Spot. Uh, I will, I'm going out of town next week, but I'm not going to let the podcast slip. So one way or another, I will get to episode 137 out next week. I may have to re-record the episode that I did about MTV, so maybe I'll do that. Um, thanks everybody for listening. I hope uh, you all return. Uh, sorry about the minor hiatus, but you know, stuff happens. But now we're back on track. The hardest one is getting back on the horse, and that's what we're doing here. Don't forget that the voicemail box has a new phone number. It's area code 405-486-YOU-DON'T-KNOW-FLAT. That's Y-D-K-F. You can email me, robohair at robohair.com. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you all. As I begin recording with the uh, throwback review, guys, I will mention what's going on over there. But for now, here we are. So it's You-DON'T-KNOW-FLAT. Thank you for listening. I will see you guys next week.